Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yeah. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Top. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the oh, barrel up, so to, up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guests like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Zaren Burnett. Got a question for you. Yes, sir. Since you're all here and how bushy-eyed and bright-tailed, <laughs> yes. right? Uh, do you know what's ridiculous? I do. What's ridiculous? Okay, you know how you, you we've talked about how much you love baths. Oh, yeah. Right. That's not ridiculous. No, not at all. No, that no, no. is refreshing and salubrious. No, no, no. So, um, but we've also talked about how the biggest mashup culprit so far is Cheetos. Yeah, they're, yeah I think they are the top one. Okay, so Cheetos and baths uh-huh. is where I'm going with this. Okay. Did you know, uh, we got this from a lot of Instagram rude dudes, mm-hmm. that there's a Cheetos bath dust? Is that like a bath bomb, but you float it on the skin of the water? I feel like bath dust is, is after the production of bath bombs, they mm-hmm. just gather like the, the dust that's <laughs> left over and package it. as. I'm not kidding. I think that's what this is. So this is the hot dog to all the better cuts it's of meat scrapple. that are made? Yeah, yeah it's bath bomb scrapple it's and hoggers. so it's uh so anyway there yes. there's we were sent these pictures where there's an icy like the blue raspberry uh-huh. frozen drink sure uh fruity pebbles and cheetos they guess they came in like a three-piece set uh-huh. if you wanted to buy them they have this pack on um ebay for 30 dollars i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take a soft pass it comes to us from taste beauty 
uh-huh. which I don't know. Um, they're they're all about mixing up like foodstuffs, and but it's like sweets, right? Okay, so I started thinking sure. about this Cheetos bath dust. It's citrus scented, by the way. It doesn't. It's that not doesn't cheesy. Even make sense. No, it doesn't. But then I started looking at the Environmental Working Group has a website where they'll break down the 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 hazards of various beauty okay, products. Okay, so they look at all the chemical constituents and say, this one will really set the water in a bad right. way. So Cheetos Flamin' Hot Bath Dust mm-hmm. Citrus, yeah. they gave a four. Okay. Um, so the, it's, you on know, On a scale fair. of one to five? It's moderate yeah. on a scale of one to ten. One to ten. Um, so it's a moderate cancer risk. <laughs> God. A high allergies and immunotoxicity risk. Okay. Low developmental and reproductive toxicity. Uh-huh. And then moderate use restrictions. And the big thing, it's an eight. That's high. Higher is is worse. Okay. It's an eight in the fragrance because um, there are allergy and immunotoxicity mm-hmm. risks, but also like endocrine disruption. Oh, wow. Which is a big deal. Yeah, that is a big one. Non-reproductive organ system tex- toxicity. Uh-huh. Uh, ecotoxicity is low, uh-huh. and then you know moderate irritation risk. So, don't don't use it. I heard though is my take on the Thank you for New Jersey wellness scale. It got a hey, hey oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. And you know what else? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Damn <Hey-o>. right. <laughs> well, uh, you got a second because I got another one that's ridiculous. Oh yeah, totally. It's, I'm here. It doesn't involve any chemical constituents. Mm. But it's uh, it's a doozy. Uh-huh. Okay, do you know that the FBI's most wanted list was started in 1950? I did not know that. March 14th, 1950 to be exact. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, one day shy of the Ides. That's now, the day I was born. Really? No. no. <laughs> Being that it was this top 10 list, right, of course it becomes an instantly a huge hit. Everybody's talking about it. It becomes big publicity for the agency, or I guess should, I should say the Bureau, the FBI. Mm-hmm. Anyway... The whole point is that within weeks of being announced on the top 10 most wanted list, often a fugitive would be turned in by some observant citizen, some pain-in-the-neck innocent bystander like you. I know, like, you, just, I, you just pointed at me. I was like, wait, what? You were totally the type who would actually check out the most wanted list I, once it dropped. I like, am. fresh most wanted list, guys. <laughs> anyway, they would call in your boy, Willie Sutton. He was on the okay. OG list. Nice. 1950, well done, he made Willie. it. Yeah, top of the, uh, I think it was number nine or 10. Anyway. Along comes the 1958 Most Wanted list. That year, the Bureau added a fugitive to the list, one who proved far more elusive than any of the prior top 10 criminals. They couldn't catch this dude. The FBI chased him around the country for nearly a year. He was spotted all over the place. People were calling in tips. Wasn't any help. In that time, this cat used 35 different aliases. He stole Uh 29 cars. Whoa. He was spotted everywhere, Elizabeth. There was calls from Seattle to Maine, Mississippi, North Dakota. And he was in those places. It wasn't like, oh, I thought I saw him. These people weren't wrong. I can give you two clues why this particular fugitive was so difficult to catch and capture. Okay. For one, he was this blue-collar James Bond of mid-century America. Love it. I love this guy. (laughs) And two, his nickname. That'll really give it away. The FBI called him the Flying Bank Robber. (laughs) Okay. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and... 100% ridiculous. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. 
I put my back into that you one. You really did. Now, this cat I want to tell you about today, Elizabeth, his name is Frank L. Sprenz. Frank L. Sprenz. That's Sprenz, like money spends, but with an R. Oh, okay. And it ends in a Z. <laughs> okay. And there's no D. But just like that. <laughs> it's, just, it's exactly like Frank that. L. Sprenz. Sprenz. Okay. Now, this cat was born in uh, Akron, Ohio uh, on February 13th, 1930. Good mid-century American. A hard time in America to be a youngin, though. So he was raised in the deprivations of the Great Depression, right? Now, being too young to go off to war when World War II came around... He didn't get to share in any of the glory of the war years or the adventuring abroad. He just got to know the deprivations of rationing and all the stuff that came along with that. So he missed out, though, luckily for him, on all the wanton death, the battlefield, bloodshed, the psychic trauma of war. So, you know, it was a win-win for him in that regard. (laughs) However, America, 1948, Frank L. Sprenz, he's now 18 years old. The war years are over. America's looking to move on. Everybody's about to create the world that we know, right? Mm -hmm. A new time, a new temper has taken over the country. The 50s are beginning to take shape, but they begin to take shape in the end of the 40s. Okay. That's where we are, 1948. Now, as I said, going to be a very different America than the one that you knew before the war years. Before the war years, all depression. Now America's becoming industrial. The nation's getting stitched together with freeways. The nation's already somewhat bound together by radio waves and the mass culture that comes along with that. Now there's TV, 1948, the first year TV is really booming along. Now we have the new America. And Frank L. Sprenz, 18 years old. Mm. Now, dude worked blue-collar jobs. I said, uh, I'll give you a little sample. He was an auto mechanic, a mm-hmm. construction worker. He also liked fanciful jobs like lifeguard. I mean, he's a young cat, so it's not <laughs> fanciful. that fanciful. But I mean, he's like, he's like he doesn't want to, uh, he's not into like ditch digging and backbreaking work. he's not work. an office guy. No, he did. He worked oh. a couple office jobs. He was a clerk typist. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as the 1950s rolled around, Elizabeth, what comes along but beautiful new cars? Because out of the 40s, you had a lot of cars. That they didn't, I mean, they changed if you look at the 40s, but they really didn't change much from 1940 to 1948. It's mm-hmm. just big and round and some stuff. In the yeah. 50s, you have so much dynamic design in automobiles that you could tell the year just looking at the totally. tail fins or the or looking at the the uh, the windows like the front window or the back yeah. window yeah. or even the headlights this guy he's a car guy so he gets into this and everything is just perfect for him and once again he's young at this point 1950 he's uh, 20 years old right so People, guys, I said, they gotten used to rationing and 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 all the deprivations of the depression, and then in the war years when they had like you know their Liberty Gardens and so forth. Mm-hmm. So people, once again, there was gas rationing, so that you weren't allowed, or you know, just by nature of rationing, you weren't allowed to go and do for long drives. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So of course, when the war ends, people they take to these new freeways being built. They have these new cars. It's just go, go, go. And here's this guy. He's like looking at all these cars and the beautiful. As I said beautiful new numbers. You got these curvy joints, big sweeping tail fins. This is cars as like modern art. One of the most beautiful cars is a 49 Mercury. Totally. Yep. Great call. You Thank you. Taste. I do. Now, this, uh, <laughs> as I've said, the automobile basically it's becoming America's defining technology just to cut the story short and freeways are being built at this exact same time once uh, Eisenhower comes along. So consequently, the culture is changing. This was also true for crime. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'd start seeing interstate crime and in a right. big, big yeah, yeah. way. Right. That makes sense. Middle of all this, I said, Frank L. Sprint, who is a car guy. So this cat, he found he really loved other people's cars. <laughs> he's like, they have so many better cars than I do. <laughs> so he's like, you know, cars he could never purchase. Obviously, he's just this poor kid. So what would he do, Elizabeth? He would 
borrow them. Oh, quote unquote borrow? Okay, whatever. The law would say he stole them. <laughs> but in his mind. But he thought he was going to bring them back. You know, I just want to take him for a ride. He's a guy who, you know, never he never met a stranger. Everyone's his friend. Exactly. So he's just borrowing from everybody. He's just Will Rogers behind the wheel. Exactly. Now, also, though, he'd finally found something he was good at. Okay. Something he good could stick to as a career. So he's... he's Basically, he tried to go straight at this point. So, like, one time he stole a car and he drove over to the recruiting station so he could join the army. <laughs> All right? He's, like, trying to mix his t- his talents. He's like, yo, I got a, a fresh body, young. I could go fight like, in the... Ticket for one to the Forgotten War. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, try as he might, though... Uh, Going straight didn't last long for him, but he did get into the army. Mm-hmm. So while he was in the army, he also stole cars. So he oh, was stationed heavens. in Baltimore. He stole multiple cars. He claimed <laughs> the numbers as high as 15 cars. So he really got to work, okay. right? Anyway, stint in the army didn't last long. He didn't like taking orders. A lot of the people we cover, this is yeah. a common theme. They're Problems like, with authority. I was in the army, didn't last. <laughs> anyway, no surprises there. World War is over, so there really was nothing holding him. And Korea hadn't really kicked off at this point. Mm-hmm. So... He gets back to blue-collar work. He works as an auto mechanic, like I said, a car guy. By his late 20s, his life path has now begun to take shape, right? So he does the next expected thing. He winds up in prison. You see, he had caught a, he caught a bad rap after he'd robbed the Olympic bar in Akron, Ohio. He robbed a bar? Yeah, yeah allegedly. And he robbed a bar in his hometown <laughs> in broad daylight. Oh. Yeah, so there was no mistaking. And Anyway, the daylight robbery of the bar, it nets him and his crew about $1,490. That's a lot then. Yeah, Wait, and, the, and he had a crew? Yeah, well, a couple guys, yeah. Uh-huh. And this year, The year at this point is 1958. Oh, so okay. that that hall, that bar job hall, it was $1,490. I know you like to know these things. It would now yes. be worth about $15,862. That's a good chunk of change from a robbery. Heck yeah, right? Yeah. Was, I don't know many bars that keep fifteen grand in That is really true. Yeah, right? On property? Well, I don't know how. I mean, now we have it in the daylight. With cars this would be all. the next but day. This Remember, this is the daylight. So Maybe this would be they, they were counting their money or whatever from the night, from before. The night before, from the week before. Hopefully, Popping off, man. That's anyway, a... yeah. So he gets busted because he doesn't get away with this fifteen large, and he gets locked up in jail in Akron, Ohio, while he's awaiting trial for the bar robbery. Guess he didn't want to test the American justice process because he decides I need to bust out of this place. Another thing I you'll find in yeah, stories. we got a lot of these dudes. Yeah, like, I'm attracted to them. They're right? impatient. Yeah, they're just like, look, I got it. I got stuff to do. <laughs> impatient. They don't respect authority. No, their names are Zarin and hey, Zarin. Hey, so this guy, he's good with tools, right? He's used to working with metal from his time as an auto mechanic. So he fashions a key out of a piece of metal that he breaks off from the frame of his jailhouse bed. Whoa. Yeah, and he gets this key to work, right? And he unlocks wow. his cell door. He walks out of the jail cell. There were a couple obstacles, so he got four other convicts with him. He like in their jail cells. Now, together, they break out. They overwhelm some guards. They try to flee the scene. They manage to get away. Now, at this point, it's April 1958. Frank Sprint, he's like, you know what? It was fun, you guys. I'm going to go my own way. And the other guys were like, hey, man, Frank, no, we should. Uh, no, trust me. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going uh, east. He goes west. Uh-huh. Right? They all take off. All of them get caught within two weeks. Aww. All four guys. Sprint, he actually does go west. And he there are reported sightings of him all across the country while he makes his way. The FBI takes up this manhunt. Yeah. Because yeah. there's these guys busted out of jail, and they love people busted out of jail. Oh, right? sure. We got a show. We got we can catch these folks, right? And it's like a hunt for them, right? So Sprint, 
He stays gone, though. He disappears into the big western states with the little population. Because remember, once again, 1950s. This is like before the freeways have, yeah. and air conditioning have made the West what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, the FBI doesn't know this, but he's actually in Seattle, far from Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. By September 9th, that same year, 1958, the FBI, they gain a little more respect for this escaped fugitive, and they put him on the top 10 most wanted <laughs> list. They're like, we can't catch this cat, right? So now Frank Sprenz, he's made it to the top of the chart. I found an AP wire service story about Sprenz making the top 10 most wanted list. Mm -hmm. This is from September 10th, 1958, the Spokane Chronicle. Headline, Fancy Dan is placed on big list. Fancy Dan? Yeah, that was his first nickname, like when he was making his way. Hey there, Fancy Dan. I just love that headline. I don't know why. So imagine you get locked up in a men's central booking and some tough-ass biker guy's (laughs) like, Hey, man, what are you in for? Who who are you? They call me Fancy Dan. (laughs) I'm in here for robbing a bar. (laughs) Anyway, so that's the FBI's first nickname for him. The reason why they called him that was they like to make fun of the people they're chasing or give them either memorable nicknames or diminutive nicknames, right? Sure, of course, yeah. So they saw that he had these aspirations at preppiness and Ivy League standing. He liked Ivy League clothes. He he also wore a toupee to make him look younger. He was a fancy lad. Yeah, so they called him Fancy Dan, right? So Frank L. Sprentz, and this is from the story, quote, Frank L. Sprenz, a reform school graduate with Ivy League tastes and the characteristics of a chameleon, was added today to the FBI's most wanted fugitives list. The FBI said the 28-year-old fugitive may be armed and should be considered an extremely dangerous. Described as, quote, vicious, Sprenz is reputed to be an excellent marksman who will, quote, shoot without provocation. Now comes the shots at his appearance and the way of presenting himself. Man, these papers. They love to take the God, easy shots, so right? Rude. Here we go. And I quote, the agency says Sprenz, who likes to wear Ivy League clothes, can change his appearance, quote, almost magically with the simple addition of a toupee. His moods can change, too, from, quote, studious and quiet spoken to, quote, bragging and playing the big shot. Well, at least they didn't, they didn't seem to insult him as much as we've seen in yeah. other papers. No, but in case you missed the toupee of it all, yeah, the I, FBI I'm... doubles back and hits smash on the toupee button, right? And the uh. AP, the, the, the wire service, this news stories followed suit. Quote, the FBI circular shows him with and without a toupee, which he sometimes wears. Without the toupee, he looks older than his 28 years. <laughs> and with it, he looks considerably younger. Oh, wow. So good ad for toupees, though. It anyway, is. Of course. Of course, the FBI doesn't want John Q. Public to get involved, so the Bureau was quick to warn that, quote, Sprenz is an avid gun collector and gun trader, preferring 45 and 44 caliber weapons. Once, while in trouble with the Army for stealing a pistol and a machine gun, he admitted stealing 15 automobiles. <laughs> so, yeah. Then, Wait, so they're like, did you steal this gun? He's like, yeah, and I accidentally also stole 50. Shoot, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, forget the guns. I only stole a couple of those. I stole 15 cars. Let's focus on that. I'm Big really- nerd numbers, people. <laughs> Okay, so now about this point, he's made the big time. He's still free, out on the lam. What was Frank's friends doing while he was hiding out, Elizabeth? No, I have no idea. Okay, well, let's take a break. Ooh, and after yeah. this, I will tell you all about what my man was doing out in Seattle. Yeah. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. 
Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Elizabeth. Okay, Zarin. We're back. Yep. So my man, Frank L. Sprintz. Uh-huh. I asked you what he was doing while he was out on the lam, and I told you he was in Seattle. Yeah, he's inventing grunge. Good call. Good guess. I know. No, but he good. was doing what I would be doing if I were on the lam. Uh-oh. He was taking flying lessons. Oh, my God. Yeah. So while he was hiding out in <laughs> Seattle, he took some money from a bank robbery he'd pulled off on his way working west. Uh-huh. You know, he needed some traveling money, some folding cash, and he used those proceeds from the bank job to learn to fly. Then he went one further, and he also started uh, planning his nationwide bank robbing spree. Okay. You know, he's like, once I can fly, I'm now working four-dimensionally. You know, I'm working in time <laughs> oh and God. space. Oh, my so God. So once he was confident in his skills and certain he could fly, Frank Sprenz, he heads back east where he knows the world better. And But first, he crossed the border into Canada, and he worked his way east to Toronto. So oh, that was smart because the FBI is not usually in Canada. Right. So that's also... Where he began to live my best life, Elizabeth. Okay. This man, he snuck onto the tarmac of Toronto Municipal Airport. Uh Then he got out a paintbrush and he got to work. He (laughs) changed the call numbers on a plane and then he stole it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) It's like like a wily Coyote (laughs) kind of thing. So what kind of plane did he steal? Remember Uh, I said he's living my best life. Oh, God. He stole a a seaplane. Oh, God. He can land anywhere now. You know how much I want my own seaplane, Elizabeth? I know how much you want a seaplane. He did it the old-fashioned way. He stole it. <laughs> so Frank L. Sprenz, he steals himself a single-engine seaplane, or as the Canadian press called it, a pontoon plane. And once he has his hands on this hot seaplane, what does he do next? I go somewhere where there's water, I would assume. Good call. <laughs> he does the next natural thing. He plans to take off and fly back into America. Now, before he takes off into the wild blue yonder, Let's leave him there at the controls of that stolen seaplane, and let's take uh, a moment because remember I told you he's the flying bank robber, yeah, yeah. right? I think flying bandit would have been a better name than flying bank robber. But isn't there already? Well, later on, there's a flying bandit. Yeah, of course, because the name was so awesome. Yeah, they they hadn't been used. Or like, let's call him the flying bandit. Yeah, flying bank robber. Anyway, so as I said, Frank L. Sprand's living my best life. He goes. He wants to fly back into America. Can you guess what city he lands in? Somewhere where there's water. Yes. 
On the East Coast. Oh, on the East Coast. Remember, he's, he's, a, he's in Toronto. And I'll give he you a knows hint. Baltimore. Uh-huh. Does he go? I don't know. I feel like you got to go to Miami if you have a seaplane, but uh, uh, somewhere in Virginia. No, you said it. Baltimore. Oh, he went back he home. He goes to where he okay. knows, right? <laughs> right? Remember, this is a guy who robs a bar in his hometown in the middle of daytime. Or I should say he probably went to Annapolis. Oh, no. He goes to Baltimore. Right to, okay. <laughs> so he well, was, that's right. He wasn't a Navy man. No, he I guess he was in the mood guy. for fresh crab. Because he was just hey, like, listen, I got to get back can't, to the harbor. He had to go to Cantler's in Annapolis. <laughs> the best place on earth. <laughs> you knew it. So knowing that he's on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, he decides, I'm going to fly back in my stolen seaplane, but I should probably lay low. So I'm going to head to somewhere I know. So he heads to the Baltimore Harbor, but which coincidentally is just where you happen to be. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, mid-century Elizabeth. So oh, for nice. kicks and giggles, would you mind favoring me with an impression of mid-century Elizabeth? <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, <clears throat> let me just get into character here. Hi, everybody. It's me. I'm Elizabeth, and I wear poodle skirts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Perfect. there it is. So, so now good. that we've set the table and we're in the mood for some criminal kinda, fun in the 1950s. kind of hurt myself on that one. <laughs> Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes and picture My eyes it. are closed! You are in a waterfront bar in Baltimore in mid-century America. Dateline, February 1959. And you are Elizabeth. But some sort of quantum leap has thrown you back to 1959, and you've just arrived roughly an hour earlier. So far, you've just been enjoying the music in this local bar. At the moment, on the curvy Wurlitzer jukebox with the Art Deco light up front, a tune plays. It is a tune you put on. The Louis Jordan and his Timpani 5 track, Ain't Nobody Here But Us Chickens. It's a silly song, but you dig it. (laughs) Now, you get your drink refreshed. You leave a healthy tip for the bartender because you're just like that. And uh, then you raise your glass of non-alcoholic wine, a.k.a. grape juice, but with a splash of soda because it's, it's a mocktail. But they don't know what that is in exactly. 1959. So anyway, these working class folks in Baltimore, they have little interest in your weird drink. But the bartender, he clinks your glasses and says, cheers anyway. And you step outside for some fresh air. Now, you walk out onto the wooden observation deck that looks out over the Baltimore Harbor. You hear it before you see it. The propellers of a plane. You look skyward and gauging the clouds, and then out of the fog over the water it appears. It is a seaplane. The plane does a circle over the waterfront. You take a drink of your grape juice and watch it. Then it flies low as if it's judging whether it's safe to land in the harbor. You call back to the bartender who you've learned his name while you've been there this past hour. Frankie, Frankie, come quick, you gotta see this. The bartender steps outside, Wiping his hands on his long white apron. What, what, what is it? He asked. Look, you point at the seaplane. Both of you watch as the seaplane comes in low over the water and sets down his pontoons and glides across the bay waters. Taxis over to a waterfront. You think he's military? The bartender asks. I have no idea. I don't think that's legal, you surmise. Now, the two of you watch the seaplane pull up to a dock in the marina. It's a slip meant for a boat. No plane is supposed to park there. The pilot bounds from the plane. He looks around like he's expecting company or the cops. And then he walks away real quick and walks right over towards you guys where the lights are on. A bar. He comes over. The pilot... He gives a conspiratorial smile to both you and Frankie the bartender and then steps inside. Frankie the bartender follows him, and then you follow Frankie the bartender. He pulls out a wad of cash, far more than most folks in this place have seen in forever. They've never seen a bankroll like that, in fact, unless it was in the movies. The strange part, though, is it's a roll of Canadian money. Hmm. So the loonies, as they call it up north, 
Frankie decides to take the Canadian dollars, mostly for the novelty of it all. The stranger <laughs> orders a brandy to warm himself up. You ask him if he's the one who set that seaplane down in the harbor. Knowing the answer, the stranger just nods. You ask him if he's heard of Tommy Fitz, a.k.a. Lucky Fitz, who just landed a plane in New York City in 1956. But you remember that that may not be news, even though you know it from being a time traveler. Well, there's, yeah... The stranger says, I don't know this lucky fits. You just <laughs> smile and nod. Of course he hasn't heard from him. Maybe it's not been big news. Anyway, you quickly change the subject and say, Frankie the bartender ought to call the newspaper guy because he, if, if it's true, you can get this guy in the news and he'll be a big story. The guy landed in the Baltimore Harbor. I mean, come on, that's amazing. Frankie laughs. He says the newspaper reporter that he knows, the only one he knows, He'd come down to the bar and he'd need to get Patton's Fifth Army to get him to leave. <laughs> so you laugh and you turn to ask the stranger if he'd like to even be in the newspaper. And you see that he is gone. The stranger's back is all you see as he heads for the door. Over his shoulder he says, thanks for the drink. Be sure to look for me in the funny papers. And then the bell above the door chimes and with that he's gone. The door swings shut behind him. The pilot guy doesn't walk back to his seaplane. Instead he hails a cab and he disappears into the night. Huh. Okay. Amazing. Now, later that next morning, Elizabeth, if you would have stayed in your quantum leap body... At Sparrow's Point. Exactly. When the Baltimore PD showed up at the waterfront and the cops investigated the scene, namely the stolen seaplane, the detectives discovered that there were a few clothes left behind in the plane. That gave them a couple clues. The police also found a couple fake IDs. They assumed they would be helpful, but at this point, those IDs had to be burnt and they were unlikely to be used again. Right. The pilot was in the wind. Meanwhile, mystery stranger Frank L. Sprenz, what's he doing? Yeah, what is he doing? He's feeling cocky, Elizabeth. I bet. He, at this point, he's toying with the FBI. He's leaving them a trail of crumbs in the form of stolen planes. <laughs> the FBI has trailed this escaped convict all across the country. They almost caught up to him in Norfolk, Virginia. Then there were the reported sightings of him in Seattle. The FBI showed up in Seattle far too late. Then there were reports of sightings of him in Detroit. And then there were sightings of him in Toronto. The fact that he next showed up in Baltimore wasn't particularly surprising, as I told you, because he'd been stationed there in the Army. Mm -hmm. That's where he'd been a successful young car thief. By this point, though, the FBI is out of leads. They don't even know what to do. And their partners in local law enforcement are in full pursuit with them, but they don't know where to look. Mm -hmm. Basically, at this point, everybody's in hot pursuit, as my man Buford T. Justice would say. <laughs> but they can't see the bandit because he's a flying. <laughs> now, after he escaped detection in Baltimore, Frank Sprenz, where does he go? He moves north. North, okay. At this point, it's February 1959. Uh -huh. And what does he do? He steals a plane. Sure. Because that's just how, I mean, As what do you think do. he learned to fly for? So, and he's already good at stealing stuff. He just combined interests. Now, he, up. he was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. You know Scranton? Yeah, I watched The Office. I mean, I, I would if I watched TV. <laughs> I thought you might office. know. It's home to Dunder Mifflin paper, <laughs> exactly. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Never mind. You don't watch TV. You don't know what I'm talking about. I have about. no idea what you're talking February about. February 1959, Scranton, PA. Frank L. Sprenz rolls into town. He's like, is corn pop here? No. <laughs> he, is. he goes to the local municipal airport. It's a picture of a local airport. Just a small place with hangars and some, like, uh... Planes. Planes, on, like on the tarmac. Thank you, right? Now, this is like your people... And like those wind socks. Yes, exactly. Wind socks. And if you're into planes, uh, picture Piper Cubs, uh, picture like Cessna's Diamond DA-40s. That's the training plane. Basically uh, the Litlands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a lot of learner planes, a lot right? Of Litlands. So the single engine propeller plane, so forth, right? Wings over the cabin for a lot of them, mm. you know, with the struts underneath. Mm -hmm. So Frank Elsprince, he snuck out on the tarmac of the Scranton Municipal Airport. He 
finds himself a plane thinks he can fly. He makes sure it's gassed up, and then he steals it. Yeah, that now, is Tommy Fitz right there. Right, exactly. Now, I don't know if he wasn't logging flights plans with the tower. I don't know if your boy Tommy Fitz did that. I don't think he did. Yeah, I don't know again. if it was required. I don't Remember, know. because he said his radio was broken. Okay, there yeah. we go. So... Either way, this guy uh, steals a plane, takes off, flies north, and then he flies east. He aims his small plane at Vermont. He's like, oh, I'll just fly in an airport over there in the trees. <laughs> Somewhere over Burlington, though, he had plane trouble. He had to improvise a landing, and it did not go well, Elizabeth. Oh, no. Crash the plane. Just destroy the plane. According to the Daily Courier, I looked up this uh, February 17th, 1959 edition, quote, the plane was badly damaged in the landing, police said. Sprens walked away. Uh, why? We, we keep talking about all these people who crash planes and then just stroll off. It's making me, it's giving me ideas, no. Elizabeth. It's well, giving me you ideas. Know, whatever. So I guess he was a good enough pilot to land on the plane's belly and just and not nosedive into the earth. That's mm-hmm. usually what will kill you. I think Got you it. can kind of nosedive. And then you just skid kind of, and then your feet come through the bottom and the bottoms of your shoes get skidded off too. <laughs> exactly. Flintstone style. Uh-huh. You know, it's like a, when a duck lands on water. That's what I picture, but with a plane okay. on grass. Anyway, <laughs> okay. he crashes the plane. In this case, it was snowy ground because it was Vermont and it's February. So he lands in snow and he just walks away. Then Sweet he, powder. He, walk, he continues walking through that fresh pow-pow and he gets to <laughs> Champlain, Vermont. Oh, okay. And, and he gathers himself up and he walks all, as I said, through the snowy woods for a while. So he's got to be like pretty darn cold and sweaty and just all raggled. Anyway, follows a road, reaches the town called... Well, and two roads diverged in a wood. Thank you, Mrs. Frost. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Do you ever heard of the town (laughs) Winosaki? What's the state? Vermont? Vermont. Winnesaukee? No. I may be pronouncing it incorrectly no, just because I want to put like the emphasis on be, wino. It sounded like it'd be a, a Rhode Island kind of thing. Yeah. I may be wrong. I actually, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Winnesaukee. Who knows? Whatever. Anyway, that's where he walked into the used car lot. He finds the night attendant there working at the used car lot. Who I guess he was just left in charge of sales. I'm imagining like some <laughs> fail son there or like, no, like a, a cousin of the owner. Uh-huh. Anyway, charms this guy, tells him he was in the market for a used car guy. He goes, oh, sure. You, it's kind of late, but are you sure? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a traveling salesman or whatever, right? <laughs> he manages to convince this guy he just needs to take the used car for a test drive. See if this baby's reliable, right? The guy's like, okay, and lets him go. He's gone. That's him. Um. <laughs> yeah, one of the 29 cars he steals. After that, the local press reported, quote, the police had no further information of his whereabouts at this time. I bet. So once again, he's in the wind. Now, Elizabeth, do you know about boarding houses? Kind of. You ever I mean, stay like- in one? You're familiar with I actually, uh, one, my senior year in college, I lived in like a converted boarding house. It okay. was just like rooms and you had like a prison sink in the corner of okay, your yeah. bedroom and but, then there was like a communal bathroom in the hall. It, but did you also do the communal um, dining room where everybody from no. come down for meals? No. That's part of the boarding house? Yeah, you, you no. You guys all come down and eat whatever We the, did not have that. The, the matron or the... the Whoever owns the place. Yeah, we didn't have that, but I'm familiar with that concept. Okay, well, yeah. If you've ever seen old movies, you're probably exactly. familiar. So that's uh, that's pretty much how I'd want to travel. Forget Airbnb. Forget hotels, motels. I want to be in someone's home, and they just make all these meals. They're home-cooked meals. I have a bed. I mean, that to me no. is amazing. I hate that. I hate going to, like, B&Bs, like, pre- Pre-Airbnb. No, but those but are like, precious. No, because first of all, like, you have to wake up at a certain time. I'm generally a very early riser. Sure. But, like, especially, like, if you're in somewhere like Scotland where they're, uh-huh. like, it's 7 a.m., get up. Yeah. And they, like, rouse you. That's what you. time people have breakfast. Yeah, but 7 I don't. 7 a.m. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> What's the problem here? You know, you're on vacation. You want to just chill. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, sure. Whatever. You and can, eat, you can get up, eat breakfast, and go back to bed. I don't like people looking at me. Oh, that's what it There's is. There's that, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. You also, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I don't, you know me. I don't want to go down and sit around a table and make small talk. Hell no. But then I can just, I found that you can avoid that. You just act like the, the mystery stranger. You just have one word <laughs> answers and you eat your meal. Then they all tell <laughs> yeah, stories about that you. Could, yeah, that's actually a really good tack to take. <laughs> Become the mystery Become stranger the mystery of stranger. any event. One word answers. That's all you do. <laughs> anyway, so Frank L. Sprenz, he's doing my move. He's being the mystery stranger. He's hanging out in boarding houses. He's trying to lay low. So basically picture him like in a Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. And he finds a phone book. He gets this recommendation from a local. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know what his story is. He phones the promenade in. The proprietor, a Mrs. L.V. Rattle, she had just returned home from church. She was busy doing her duties in the hotel boarding house. And according to the April 11th edition of the Press Herald of Portland, Maine, at 10 a.m., Mrs. L.V. Rattle receives a call. It's from a strange man. He wanted to let her room. Or as we would say, book a room. Okay. Right? She told him that she did indeed have a few vacancies. She had a room for him. He said... I'll be right there. Okay. See, a couple words. That's the exception. He's Just a the couple words. the mysterious stranger. At 11 a.m., the stranger walks into her boarding house, and Mrs. L.V. Rattle recalled to the press, I didn't even have to show him the room. He just took it. I'll take it. See, once again. It's right there. <laughs> the stranger said he had a name. His name was Jerry Bona of Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> Bona. Hey, Jerry Bona. You Jerry know. Bona. And he explained that he'd been traveling for a long time. He hadn't slept in two days. He was real, real tired. He, so she took him to the room, and then she didn't see him again, ever. He slept all Sunday afternoon and all not Sunday night. He woke up on Monday, so he sleeps a whole day away. And she wasn't banging on the door at 7, like, come down and have some greasy no, they, eggs. They, they don't harass you like that. They, yeah, they do. They, well, maybe in Scotland. In Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up Monday afternoon. He tries to sneak out of the boarding house. He takes the back stairs and, you know, they, they, as if someone were, were looking for him. Sure. You know, like the old, like, hey, I'll take the musician's entrance. Exactly. So it turns out the stranger, Frank L. Sprintz, is on the FBI's most wanted list, so that's why he would take the back stairs. Someone was looking for him, all of J. Edgar's boys. So the daughter, Mrs. Donna LaFleur, she's the only one to spot him. She was happened to be in the kitchen, like in the back of the house, uh -huh. and she hears footsteps on the back stairs. Nobody ever uses the back stairs, so she's like, oh, what's that? Being a you know, good busybody, she right. gets up from where she's good like for her. snapping green beans or whatever, yeah. and then she goes and she goes to look to see who it is. She sees the, the guy who, that uh, she only knows as they're one lodger that nobody's talked to. Mr. Boner. She finds out, yeah, that it's this guy, you know, Mr. Boner. and Because uh, he has a speech impediment. That's yeah, what Jerry he was saying. Boner. Boner. No. <laughs> <laughs> Boner. So she uh, she basically makes some noise like at the glass or maybe like moves some something in the sink. He hears the she noise. She goes up and she puts her face on the glass and then blows out so you can see all her teeth. Yes, like the blowfish, but look at my grill. Yeah, totally. So she does that, and he looks, and he's like, wow, a nice grill. And then they catch eyes, and she notices that he's got this like look in his eyes. She doesn't recognize it, but she recognizes it's trouble. And then... He looks at her, he sees it, she sees the look, and he takes off, right? Uh -huh. He's like, oh, I'm out of here. Now, the daughter, she uh, she grows mad suspicious. So what does she do? She phones the local police. The police come over. They listen to her version of events, and then they ask her if she'd look at some photos. They show her what's called a rogues gallery, okay, which is basically yeah, yeah. a bunch of mugshots, sure. right? She agrees to look them over. She picked out Frank Al Sprenz. Boom, right out of the bat. That's him, officers. Now, it turns out she had just spent the you know a couple nights with number 10 on the top 10 most wanted list. Ooh la la. You know, well, not like the couple of nights that way. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, the good news for the FBI was he'd paid in advance for multiple nights. Oh. He'd also left a bunch of his stuff behind. 
it was likely he was headed back and he had no reason to be super suspicious other right. than that one weird look from the daughter. Yeah. So the FBI, they called in reinforcements, Elizabeth, nice. and they set up a trap. Did they hide under the bed? Yes, they did. Nice. And they said, shh, he's coming <laughs> back. Nobody say anything. That means you, Tony. <laughs> so let's take a little break. Yes. We'll see if Tony can be quiet and not jinx Frank L. Sprint. Sounds good. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European Political Systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, we're back. Yes, we are. We've got the FBI under the bed mm -hmm. waiting for Frank L. Sprints. Now, at this point, the uh, local cops, you know, they've been chasing their tail 
And they'd also been chasing any leads that they got because they know the FBI. They There's a little competition of amongst course. law enforcement, right? right? So now they know, they've heard that the FBI guys are in town. They're not supposed to tell anybody, but they're trying really hard to catch this guy on their own. So mm-hmm. Burlington Daily News, they ran a story February 18th, 1959, about in Seiko, Maine. Mm-hmm. The state troopers pulled over a yellow car with New York plates. There was one man driving. And when the Maine state troopers threw on their lights, the man in the yellow car floored it. He led the police on a hundred-mile-long high-speed chase. Wow. Eventually, he ditched the police. Yes, he makes You're it kidding. away. Yeah, state so police. he stole good cars. No, well, just listen. So <laughs> the state police are diligent, though. So they go scouring everywhere they can, and they finally catch up to this yellow car, because there's not a lot of yellow cars at the time, apparently. And they find one hiding out in Saco, Maine, or Saco, Maine. They find the driver, and it's not Frank L. Sprenz. Oh. It's just some panicked New Yorker who were like, who are these crazy redneck cops chasing after me? So he had taken off on a hundred mile what? long chase. That's what he said. Oh, I don't he know was if that's up to true. Filthy. I think yeah. I think he was like you know maybe with the, the bent nose guy. He's in the old like, maple hey, syrup trade. I'm I'm, a, I'm with the thing. You know our thing, <laughs> our special thing. So back to Mrs. Rattle's boarding house. Mm-hmm. FBI. They set up. They they have a stakeout going or I don't know a raid. I don't know what you'd call it. A trap. Mrs. Rattle's boarding house is like a lost. Beatles track <laughs> and they're like vaudevillian. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. It totally sounds like something <laughs> Paul would write. Now, to explain the sudden presence of a bunch of well-groomed, square-jawed special agents, the FBI agents, they booked a bunch of rooms in the boarding house. They're going to pretend to oh just my God, be I love it. other people in the boarding house. They decide they're going to be traveling musicians. Stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Didn't we have an, another story? We got the Tommy Fitz stuff. Oh, huh. uh, wasn't it Bum Fardo? They all pretended they were in, like, a karate tournament. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I'm seeing a pattern here. So these guys pretend like, like they treat it like they're Al Capone's boys. They're going to show up with musical instrument cases loaded with guns. Oh, my God. That's why so they good. pretend to become traveling musicians. Uh-huh. They need to get away to get their guns into the boarding house. <laughs> so they have pistols, revolvers, submachine guns. So they're coming in. This is a big band. This is what I'm saying. They've got <laughs> a orchestra. lot of instruments. So as I remember, also Sprints, he's got a reputation as being a very dangerous man. So yeah. the FBI agents. They've investigated what Sprenz has left behind in, in the room, and they found a dozen different car keys. There ha- he has one that's a master key for a particular model. Oh. I think it's for Chevys based on some of the, the cars he that steals. That sounds like, you know, the kind of security flaw that a Chevy would have. Oh, shots fired, huh? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Fix or repair daily. Now, he also left behind <laughs> clothing, a top coat, jeans, boots, a cap. And there was a newspaper that was left open. And it was left open on a page about him. He was reading his own <gasps> press. I love it. He's like, yeah, that's right. Look at that. So <laughs> the FBI agents, they hunker down. They're hoping he's going to return. They got their walkie-talkies. They're keeping in contact with each other. Like, yeah, Tony, you there? Yeah, this is a uh, moon di- moon diver over stat. <laughs> now, at, they, they end up staying at this boarding house for a week. One, one guy's Tony and the other guy's moon diver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tony doesn't get a code no, name? no respect for Tony. Or is moon diver like you know he had opera- early hippie parents? Do you know how many opera? The good point. You have to be right. high with hippie parents before hippies existed. <laughs> Agent Moon Diver Finnegan. He's got like, like OG 1930s hippie parents. <laughs> <laughs> They're like just old socialists, or you guess young socialists at then. <laughs> Anyway, so all in all, there are 30 FBI agents hidden in around the Portland, Maine area, and there's a bunch in the boarding house. They're there for a week, and none of them, not a single one of them, spot Frank L. Sprenz because he's long gone. He got that look from the daughter, oh, he and knew. he knew. He's like, he's like she's calling the cops. Exactly. So he stole a car, drove down to Salem, New York, ditched it, stole another car in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and then after he bummed a ride from a small, like a sawmill worker he met, this okay. guy named Robert Vallier. 
he also that guy he he picks Frank L. Sprenz out from a rogues gallery, so we know yeah. it was him. Then the sawmill worker dropped him off at a at a garage in Kennebunk, Maine. Uh-huh. He asked the garage man, "This is Frank L. Sprenz." He asked the garage man if he could borrow a wrench. The guy's like, "Oh, sure, buddy." And he never returned the wrench. Oh, I thought he was like club him over the head. No, no, he's not like that kind of violent. But the, the garage man's like, "And he never returned the wrench, right?" Uh-huh. See, he used it, of course, to steal a car and drive off. Then he ditched that car in Sanford, Maine. So he's just moving like yeah. in, in, as fast as he can. According to the February 21st edition of the Boston Globe, quote, state police set up roadblocks from the Massachusetts line to the Canadian border last night in an effort to capture Frank L. Sprenz, public enemy number 10. <laughs> public now, enemy number 10. You like that? Now, at some point, he stole another car because that car gets left behind in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's just zigzagging across the sleepy towns of New England. And for traveling money, he'd stop and rob a bank. Uh-huh. So in Hamden, Connecticut, he robbed a bank for 12 grand. And then just like all disappears. And then he surfaces again the next month in, in uh, Hamelin, Ohio. He's moved west now. He robs a bank there for $25,955. The FBI hears about this bank job. They're like, wait, he's not in New England anymore? And they go racing out to the First National Bank and Trust Company. The description of the bank robber, they they, they go, that's him. That's our man. That's Frank L. Sprenz. Now, to the agents, as he said, there was little doubt that it was Frank. Now, how do they know it was him? Because he was so damn polite. Light. Oh. The, the FBI, they've been telling the public the whole time that he's this violent, gun-collecting, gun-trading, desperate man, but the FBI agents know for a fact from all the reports that he's actually super nice and kind. <laughs> he's been going <laughs> along. Nice dude. Yeah, he, he, he thanked his bank robbery victims, and then he wished them a good day, and that's how they knew it was him. They're like, it has to be him. He's, He's the, the only, only one who's doing this. I love it. So, yeah, you can take the boy out of the Midwest. You can't take the Midwest <laughs> out of the boy. So, anyway, Frank L. Sprenz, number 10 most wanted. <laughs> He's feeling the heat at this point. He knows he needs to get out of the out of this uh, area of Ohio. And he's, he also knows he needs some gas money, so he robs the bank, as I told you. Then he ha- heads out to the Ohio Municipal Airport, mm-hmm. steals a plane. Nice. And he flies at 160 miles north until I assume he ran out of gas because... <laughs> Yet again, he crashes a plane, and then the small craft slams into the ground near some place called Coshocton, Ohio. Okay. So, yet again, he walks away unscathed. Again. My man. Wow. Now, he walks into downtown Coshocton, Ohio, or Coshocton, and he walks to a used car lot. Four hours later, 55 miles north, the car he just bought was found abandoned, right? Oh, so he actually bought this oh, yeah, one. He, like he, he, yeah. He, he's not always stealing cars. He only steals them when he's desperate. Yeah, you got to If he's robbed match. a bank recently, then he'll give money to somebody. He's like, look, I'm going to need to make yeah, a deal. Yeah, that's true. You need that's to eat. That's true. So anyway, <laughs> he leaves that car parked behind a bar. Then he re- he's, he's seen removing the dealer plates. He goes into the bar with a paperback filled with money. At this point, it's about $25,000, but I assume about twenty-two. Maybe he spent a couple grand for the car. Wow. So he tells the bartender he needs to wait for a friend. And he says, is that cool? Is that cool if I wait here? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, of course. And he, he's got to be bleeding and bruised from the plane crash he survived. Right, right. right? The bartender's like, sure, buddy. You, you just sit down, right? <laughs> so he takes up residence in the phone booth. He starts making calls. And he's got a lot of dimes because he makes a lot of calls. Like A half hour later, an old Nash Rambler pulls up outside of the bar sprints walks out gets in the car disappears that's it doesn't say anything nobody knows anything this is all the fbi get he showed up in an old nash rambler that's what you got for us thanks wow. so the fbi once again trail has ended he uh-huh. has ghosted yet again crashed a plane and all of it they were pretty close on him and then he gets to ohio and makes his escape so at this point what does the fbi do elizabeth they like they've got to explain all this to j edgar hoover yeah. he is not a patient man yeah and this is now making headlines across the country they are looking like fools on a Monday morning. 
every Monday morning. They like, can't oh. even catch number 10. No, exactly. <laughs> He's not even in the top five. Like the lower part of the list should just be rotating really quickly as yeah, they nail Generally them. it is. That's the thing. Yeah. And so anyway, the Cleveland field office, they are put in charge of running this investigation, right? They're like, look, you're, he's he's come back to his home state. We're thinking maybe he's going to, something will come of this. He's so, nesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, uh, they're also at this point, they're working with Canadian authorities. They're like, if he comes down, to, if he goes up to you guys, please let us know. They've yeah. contacted Mexico. They're like, look, if he goes, he, he steals planes. So he may come in on a stolen plane. He may not just cross the border. Right. He may fly over it. They're like, okay, muchacho, we'll look out for it. <laughs> so essentially at this point, he's uh, he's also given officially the new criminal moniker, the flying bank robber. The flying bank robber. I'm still telling you, the flying bandit. I mean, come I on, know. snappier. I know. Anyway, so with all this newfound notoriety and his much cooler nickname, he knows it's time to get out of the country. It'll only be so long until somebody says something helpful to the FBI. Yeah, sure. So, and it's also getting harder and harder for him to walk in and rob banks mm-hmm. and, and then go and steal planes. Both the airports <laughs> and the banks are catching on to him. So right. he decides, time to make a run for it. Where does he make a run for it, Elizabeth? Canada. No, he's already been there. Mexico? Mexico. Ah. It's time to steal a plane. Nice. So, now he's smarter than this about than just going and stealing a plane. He's done the bank job, so now he has cash. So he goes and he buys a plane. Oh, wow. Less attention. Yeah, that's so true. So he gives, gets himself a plane for t- the low, low cost of $2,800. Wow. And at this point, he's in Carrington, North Dakota. Okay. Because he's trying to lay low and buy a plane where nobody's going to talk. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it almost works, except for the FBI catches wind that Frank L. Sprenz has been spotted in North Dakota. So he, at this point, he's posing as a highway engineer. That's what he tell, he's telling everybody is his cover story. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, once again, as I said, in the 50s, freeway building is big business. And right. it would make sense that he would be anywhere that oh, he yeah, is. Totally. He's like, oh, I'm scouting. I need to get a plane to look for places to build uh, freeways and stuff. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, that's great. We're going to get a freeway. Is he going to go to Fayettetown or whatever? <laughs> anyway. So he also looked like what people expected of an engineer. He's youthful, yet balding. So, you know, and also he's like, you know, college student up front and college professor up back. Well, they said that he's like the fancy lad. So he's yeah. well-dressed and he it's like well and he has like the air, the the um, authenticity of it. And he also has the credibility of like an office job, but he can be out and about because like you said, you know, he's this. Totally. And he's nutty as a fruitcake. So he's always going to say whatever he has to. Perfect. So it really works. It's like, oh, what do you think I am? Yeah, I'm a professor of uh, ichthyology. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Highways. So, um, yeah, sorry. Anyway, so the uh, highway engineer, the, uh, th- this point, the FBI, they don't know this. So they've put out a 15-state alert just hoping anybody will tell them anything because they're like, he's in North Dakota. He could be anywhere mm-hmm. then. So they get a call from Mississippi that they've spotted him. They get a call in Indiana that they spotted him. They get a call from Texas that they spotted him. All of them have spotted a small red and white plane. It's a Piper Pace that he had purchased in North Dakota. Now, these are likely law enforcement and not normal citizens yeah, at this point because they're working guy. off of like a very close circular the FBI is putting right. out saying look for a red and white plane it was recently blah 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 right so he makes his way all the way down to a small Texas town where he lands just long enough to gas up then he makes his run for the border he next touches down in a little town called Tecalutla uh-huh. now that's just over the border in Mexico he'd made it he'd gotten into Mexico he's almost good he hid out there for a while 
In fact, he had out there long enough to make friends with a hotel owner of the nicest hotel in town. He offers to take that dude up for a flight in his plane, like, you know, to say thank you for, like, letting him stay in the nicest hotel in town. So he's up there in his pleasure flight with his new friend as his passenger, and they're actually, I say up there, they haven't taken off yet. He's on the ground, and he's about to go and, like, taxi on down their, like, makeshift runway, and a cow walks onto the runway. No. He swerves to avoid the cow because he's got a propeller in the front. It'll just turn that cow into, like, beef. And he also, it'll probably, hand, you know, damage <laughs> Yeah, you know, damage the plane. So he swerves to avoid the cow, and what does he do? He hits a palm tree, wrecks his plane. Oh no! So now he can't fly out of there, and he's like, "Oh, this is bad news, right? This is bad business." The Mexico authorities are gonna come around asking questions. So at this point, he's in a town out just outside of Veracruz, if you know yeah, Mexico. I know where that is. He's about 100 miles east of Mexico City. He's on the Gulf side. Yeah. Now, he knows he can't stay there long. So what does he do? Frank L. Sprint, he keeps it moving. So he travels 600 miles south and east down to the Yucatan Peninsula. Oh, okay. There, he goes to the capital city of Merida, and he rents a room at the best hotel in town. Because once again, he's got money, so he's always, where's the best hotel Yeah, exactly. In town? You're down Mexico way. Live oh, it up. exactly. He books a flight out to Cozumel, and this time he wouldn't fly the plane because it was a commercial flight. Right. This is a mistake. Um, April 6th, he's in Cozumel Town, small little spot, home to about 2,000 people, laying low, thinks he's cool. He's been hiding out, once again, told you, rich highway engineer. Not too many people are asking questions. And true to his role, he's like, I want to go take in some sport fishing. They're like, okay. He rents a boat, takes a cruise out to go deep sea fishing, living the good life. Once again, he's made it, Elizabeth. He's out there. Look at the wide expanse of ocean. What is that, a boat on the horizon? Oh, no. Well, it was a boat on the horizon. It was actually two boats on the horizon, and it was the Mexican security police approaching. They get to the boat at 6 p.m. and they're like, are you Frank L. Sprenz? <laughs> <laughs> so they board the boat. They arrest Frank L. Sprenz, the Mexican security apparatus. They contact the FBI. The FBI is like, hold him. We'll be right down. The Jager Hoover boys, they get down there. Remember, at this point, they failed for a, almost a full year. Yeah. The, it's mid-April, uh, the 14th to be exact. It's almost one year to the day that he, he escaped April 16th. So is this 59? 59. That we are now? Okay. Yeah, so we started 58. It's yeah. two days shy of a year on the lam. Wow. He escaped uh, from the Ohio jail April 16th, 1958. In that time, in that one year, he had mm -hmm. learned to fly a plane. He'd seen Canada. He'd seen Mexico. He'd seen multiple U.S. states. He'd stolen at least three planes, 29 cars, used 35 fake identities, which just goes to show we all have the same 365 days in a year. <laughs> It's what you choose How to do with them. them? It's wow. the Beyonce principle. It's what are you doing your, your 365 days? So by June 19th, 1959, Frank L. Sprenz, he's back in America. He's in custody. He's already had his day in court. He's pleaded guilty on, quote, three counts of auto theft, one of jailbreak, and two of armed robbery. They don't load all the charges against him. Mm -hmm. He gets sentenced to a total of 42 to, to 110 years in federal oh, prison. Wow. Those terms were to run concurrently with his 20-year state sentence in Ohio and the 25-year term he already had for bank robberies. Oh, my God. So on June 5th, 1959, the Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph, covering the many trials of Frank L. Sprenz yeah. across all of the various states, reported that, quote, Frank L. Sprenz, who says he wanted to join Fidel Castro's rebel forces when oh. he held up a bank here last March, has been sentenced to two more prison terms. Wait, so when he held him up, he's like, hey, by the way, like, so what's a fun fact about you guys? And <laughs> they all say something like, you know, I just really got into knitting. Oh, that's great. Guess what? I want to go help Castro. Well, you have to remember, this is like at this How point, like June, June 1959, and Fidel is all the talk. Oh, sure. 
he's sure. the coolest revolutionary. But this is the, before he's gone communist. But in the midst so of America's a, in love with him. But right, in the midst of a bank robbery, how does he share this, this just, information? This is just one cool guy. Did he guy. have it on a t-shirt? No, no, this is just one cool guy saying, I saw that other, other cool guy's work, and like I was headed his way because we were going to get our powers together. But who did he tell? He to some reporter or, or the cops. Either way, I think it's I think it's BS. But I think yeah. he also just like, you know, but uh, there's some truth to it. It makes it sound like he said it in the middle of a robbery. We, well, there's some truth to it. When he was first in Mexico, he told the guys in the hotel that he was flying to Cuba. So he, his original plan uh-huh. was to fly to Cuba. Right. Now, if he was I'll gonna, allow it. Was he going to go join the revolution? I don't know about that. Probably I think he not. was going to go hide out in Fidel's cast, uh, in Fidel's Cuba. Yeah, could be. Anyway. Whatever. It, it was indeed true. He'd been ready to go fly, said, go fly to Cuba, whatever. He refueled his red, uh, white, and piper, red and white piper, and uh-huh. he did not, you know, if it weren't for that cow, he would have been in Cuba. That's the truth. So really, it was that cow that ended his crime spree. <laughs> he was not taken down by the FBI. He was brought low by a Mexican <laughs> by cow. You know, like so many others, you know, it, he was glad it was all over when he was caught mm-hmm. and he could now finally sleep peacefully. Okay. So we hear this over and over again. Yeah. As Frank Sprenz said it once he was arrested, quote, ever since I made the list, I felt like I was walking down a glass sidewalk that might break at any minute. I'm glad it's over. Wow. Now, Frank, I think you need to work on your analogies. If you were walking on a glass sidewalk and it broke, you'd fall, what, three, four inches? I mean, it's a well, sidewalk. Well, I mean, if it's a, uh, over the sky. That's a skywalk. Is it? Skyway. I don't know. I don't know. But it's not a side. If, it's, if I was walking on a glass sidewalk, I would not worry You'd about a darn thing. You'd be more concerned that it would a glass shatter. glass bridge? And, well, it would shatter yes, and cut gla- your ankles. Sure. If That's I'm you. A glass I'm, sidewalk. Yeah, sure. Okay. Cool my ankles. I'm the ankle injury magnet. That's why. <laughs> Now, before we say goodbye to Frank Friends, can I just say that his ex-wife was a stone-cold piece of work? Oh. <laughs> when he was finally caught, the press caught up to her for a comment, and she was only too happy to oblige them. She gave the news, news reporters, like, a quote and a half. And now, let me just set the scene. Quote, the family of Akron bank robber Frank L. Spren sat waiting for each news broadcast through a long Tuesday evening. Huddled around the television set were the ex-wife, children, and mother-in-law of the man whose story of crime and escape made him one of the FBI's most wanted criminals. Now, the face of the captured fugitive, it flashes on the TV news before these reporters, and they, yeah. they're writing about it. The kids are thankfully out of the room when this happens. The reporters do, dutifully note, uh-huh. because there is David Sprens, five, and his sister Debbie, four, or as the paper calls her, Pretty Little Debbie, who played happily with her pet dog, Rusty. Wait, those are his kids? Yeah, he's got kids. So after And a family pet? Yeah, yes. So after huh. the reporter okay. noted that the kids missed the image of their daddy's capture in Mexico, Mrs. Alberta May Sprens, quote, attractive 26-year-old ex-wife of the fugitive, said that the last time it appeared on the screen, the boy recognized his daddy. Thank God <laughs> Debbie has already forgotten him, said Mrs. Sprens, the brunette sack-clad ex-wife. Oh. Yeah. Now, don't get it wrong, Elizabeth. She argued that she I was feel, not as heartless as she's about to sound. Now, Mrs. Sprint said, quote, I'm happy Frank wasn't killed or didn't kill anybody when he was captured, but it would have been easier in years to come to tell the children their father is dead. Oh, now, wow. I will just have to wait until they are grown up enough to explain everything. It would just have been so much easier if he was dead, Elizabeth. God. But that was not all. The young mother had plans to protect her kids. Uh, she'd go back to her maiden name. I am changing our name to Hall. I've been correcting the children when they say Sprens, and they'll soon forget, I hope. I'm glad it happened before David starts school in the fall. This is the end of that chapter. 
Wow. She also wondered if the FBI guys had informed her ex-husband that she was divorcing him. Uh, as for her dating future, in case you were wondering about it that, was. the ex-Mrs. <laughs> Spren said, One thing is certain. I'm not even thinking about another man or another marriage at this point. I haven't even met another man I'd want to marry, though I've been on a few dates. So oh. she's looking, fun and flirty, <laughs> single, still under 30. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you with this. <laughs> anyway, you see that hope springs eternal always. And for my man, Frank L. Sprenz, he hopes eternally. But eventually he got caught and then he was staying in bars and he would have a terrible future that I don't even want to get into. And that's when he stopped being my man. But up oh. to that point, oh, I'm okay. with this cat. Yeah, when he comes back out of prison, things are We don't want to know. He goes, let's just say he goes back to prison again. Okay, so we're just talking about the ridiculousness yeah, so up until I liked him when he's young man. I like it too. <laughs> anyway, so what's our ridiculous takeaway here, Elizabeth? Uh, my takeaway is that uh, you should be really wary of people who are desperate to know how to fly. <laughs> Wait a minute. I see shots fired again. Yeah, what's up? So uh, what's your ridiculous takeaway? Thanks for asking. <laughs> my ridiculous, I have to race and get it in now. <laughs> my ridiculous takeaway is how hard is it to get a pilot's license? <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, anyway, as always, you can find anyway. us online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter and Instagram. We have our website, ridiculouscrime.com. Check it out. We also would like to talk back. So those are on the iHeart app. And email us if you want at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next crime. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by the co-pilot of this flying circus, Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa, the FBI's top 10 most wanted badass, Brown, and Andrea J. Edgar Hoover only wish he could find what I find, song sharpened tear. Our theme song is by Thomas, the hero of Macho Grande, Lee, and Travis, stewardess, I speak jive, Dutton. The host wardrobe provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben, Captain Clarence Over, Bolin, and Noel, First Officer Roger Murdoch, Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>